Welcome to the Faith Today podcast, conversations inspired by Canada's Christian magazine. Jennifer Bowen, Jen Watt, and Stephen Doucette Campbell are counselors with Chalet Mental Health Network based in Hamilton. Here at the Faith Today podcast, we have the great idea to ask Jen, Stephen, and Jennifer to talk to each other about how they're doing in their own lives during COVID and also share some good counselor insights into how we can all do better. Our topics are isolation, how we are doing marriage right now, and how we can keep parenting in a healthy way for everyone. The conversation you are about to hear is about marriage. I especially appreciated their reminder that COVID amplifies what is good and what is not great in our marriages, along with some advice on how to grow stronger together. We hope you find this helpful to where you are right now. If you do, please share it with others. You can find the other conversations online at faithtoday.ca slash podcasts. So here we are again for part two of a three-part series on COVID. And uh, last our last um, podcast episode was on isolation and COVID. And here we are today on marriage and COVID. I'm not your host, but I'm just the facilitator for this discussion. And my name is Jen Watt. I'm a therapist at Shalem. And I've been uh, meeting with people online since March when everything locked down. Uh, my name is Stephen Doucette Campbell, also a therapist at Shalem, and likewise been meeting with clients more or less five hours a day since March online. Yeah. And I'm Jennifer Bowen, and I'm happy to be joining this conversation with my two excellent colleagues. I also am a therapist at Shalem, and, and uh, in January, I stepped into the role of executive director. So these conversations about how do we care for people during COVID and how is COVID hitting, hitting marriages is a very is a very important question to how we do our work, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. So in our last podcast, we talked about isolation. And I think um, in some ways in our prep time of this conversation, these three conversations, we talked about how uh, so much of these, there, there's overlap. And our last conversation, we we were just kind of all talking about how COVID has impacted us. And it is hard for us to kind of step away from it and speak from it from the outside. But we're speaking um, at this in, in terms of our own experiences, but also uh, what we see as, as themes and what we're seeing as what we're seeing in culture and society today on marriage and family and COVID. What kind of thoughts and things have you guys been seeing and thinking about? I think when we were talking in our last conversation, I think every everyone's having a different experience of COVID, right? There, I think there are some people who are, we're not bubbling anymore, but some people who live with family and live with a spouse that they get along with well, and their kids are having a pretty decent time of COVID. It's It's been a time of enriching family time. <laughs> so I do, I have had some clients who don't have any complaints about how COVID has impacted their marriage or their family life. But I have another series of people that I work with where uh, marriage was challenging before COVID happened. And now they're on lockdown together. And I think one thing that we've discussed before is that COVID has amplified whatever marriage was. So if marriage was challenging, marriage is extra challenging. There's nowhere to hide. There's not as much a buffer to go away for the evening and distract each other with something else. It plays out in your living room and in your kitchen and the bedroom. You can go on walks, but it's amplified stuff, right? So there's some people I think who are quite happy and it's and it's strengthened their marriage. But I think statistics around the world have shown Lots of divorce lawyers are getting calls and mediators are getting calls to say, what are my options? Because some people are feeling quite hopeless. 
what are your experiences, Stephen? Uh, one that, that just twigged for me there when you were talking about going for a walk is I have lots of clients that are with young kids that are unable to have time together alone. And depend, it can totally varies on age of kids. But even if the kids are in bed, or even if there is that time, there's still very limited time when it's not 10 or 11 o'clock at night, and you're tired from doing your day. And the logistics have ramped up as far as you know, running, you know, never mind if, if kids are home from school, if there's working from home, if one person's able to leave the house to work and the other one's left with the burden of, of childcare, if kids are in and out of school, all of that's happening. Never mind having to get groceries and, and do all those those things as well. That yeah, people are really missing and longing for just having some time together that's intentional. And by the time the end of the day comes, there might be an awareness, hey, it would be good to do that. But we're so tired we're just gonna watch Netflix because it's, yeah, it's 1030. And we got to get up and do it again tomorrow. That's true. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking about an old definition that crisis is defined where stress weighs more than what your coping can handle. Meaning stress, stress is stress. And we always have stress. And some people have a huge capacity to deal with it. And most of us have a life set up so that we can cope with our normal amount of stress and we know how to blow off steam. But what do you do as a couple when your main way of coping as a couple is as long as we can make it to Tuesday morning when the kids are gone at school and we both have a morning off and we can have some great sex or we can hang out together or watch our favorite show together and catch up on something. If that's our bonding time and it's no longer available to us, how do we suddenly it can feel like a crisis, right? Our normal way of coping isn't available to us. Mm-hmm. And along with what you said earlier, Jennifer, about some of the stressors being magnified, I've heard it said that the pandemic and lockdown has magnified whatever is positive, but also whatever is negative. And so maybe some couples might be seeing that they're really coping well, and and it might be hard for somebody else who isn't to see, well, how come they're doing okay, and they seem to do okay, and then we're not. But also there is that temptation to cover up and say, of course, we're doing fine because there is shame if we're not doing great in pandemic and my marriage is on the rocks and it's worse than it ever was. That can also be an increased isolation factor um, if they're already feeling isolated and not knowing how to handle some of these dynamics. I think I, I was speaking to a social worker neighbor and she actually this was actually early on in May. And I just asked her, like, how are things? She said, oh, yeah, domestic violence um, and all those issues are actually increased from her vantage point, too. So, I mean, whether we call it actually domestic violence, but also just that stress factor increasing and our ways of expressing that anger and that frustration on each other is for sure going to be a significant piece of that bigger puzzle of uh, how to do family in COVID time. Yeah. I think also the expectation or the need that we're placing on our partners to, I was going to say satisfy, but just to meet those needs, I guess, you know, before that might've been spread more broad, you know, you could go out for, uh, you could go out with friends one night or you could go to church or you could, there's, you know, all sorts of different things that people could be involved with. And now those are all for the most part shut down. And so you, you expect you know your partner to not only be a partner, but also to be your friend, to be your confidant, to be the person that you kind of have fun with, the person that you also have to do you know the logistics of the house again. So I think it's really putting that 
unreasonable expectation and burden on that on that relationship more than it normally would be. Because yeah, there's people that suddenly stop seeing friends, like they really have not been able to see friends in, in months, and um, maybe the odd walk. But the moments you do get, you might not want to use those to. You might not be able to really have the freedom to talk about vulnerable things, and so it's just being present and going for a walk. But you don't want to necessarily be heavy with people, and so uh, again, we kind of have lost some of those outlets to talk talk about those things. I think I'm under like. Uh, what I had mentioned last time, that book, um, Burnout by the Nagoski, I guess they're sisters, maybe, that there is a way to complete the stress cycle. And um, what among them is actually affection, being able to cry. And so if, I mean, with us being in therapy, we uh, have couples coming to us and they're stressed. And we know that that stress and that maybe like an inability to connect as a couple is rooted in their own emotional connection from childhood, from their parents. And because it's a stressful time, these things that we have maybe been relegated down to the deep surf, deep places of our hearts, they can come up. And then we find that we're not being comforted or that like especially, well, a socially acceptable way of greeting each other in friendship is hugs right? And we can get our hugs before lockdown from friends. And now we need to stay six feet apart. And so kind of along with what you're sharing, Stephen, about like, just even having some of those needs kind of those needs offloaded onto friendships is a big challenge that we face, but also magnifying some of those attachment issues that we attend to as therapists. And the neurological nervous system aspect of things of just like, I'm stressed, and my body feels like it is unsafe right now. And the reactions that come from that and how we might react to the person that we're wanting to be closest to and not getting it and that that fallout too. I'm seeing a lot of clients who are maybe not in tune or for whatever reason, maybe not feeling free to give themselves permission to also admit that they're feeling that fear, that stress. And I think to be able to, well, I think it, it's so healing when, when you can say to someone, wow, it sounds like you're carrying a lot right now. Like that sounds like an awful lot that's going on there and to juggle all of that. And I think if we can offer that to our partners and if we can kind of say, look, we're both doing the best we can here. We're both trying really hard and we're still both, you know, that term, like the stress bucket term that we use where if both of our stress buckets are overflowing and we have nothing left to give here, how do we kind of, what do we each need and how do we maybe step back and say, what, what can we do for each other? How do we kind of gift each other something to kind of decrease that stress a little bit or empty that bucket a little bit? And that, you know, that may be thing. one thing to use my own home as an example, my wife one day just needed a break. She'd been home with the kids more. And so she went for a drive and she was gone for six hours. And I was okay with that because she just needed to get away. And she drove out along a lake and just found that to be incredibly good. And I think, um, yeah, just to think in those terms of what can we, what are we both doing and how can we show some empathy um, for each other right now? Uh-huh. That, that makes me think of a lot of the couple conversations that we have of how do I take responsibility for my needs? As you were saying, uh-huh. it's so easy to say, you're my partner. You should know better. You should know how to make yeah. me feel good. And you hope that during a marriage, <laughs> we pick that up about our partner. But there is an amount, especially if we're, if we're switching into, into manual from autopilot, as I said in our last conversation, 
part of that is what do I need today to be well so that I can be present for my, for myself, not just my partner. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about too, what are the cues for me in my life that are telling me I'm not in a good place? Part of not being an autopilot is paying attention to myself. Many clients will say, when I, when we talk about anger, I'll say, how fast do you go up from zero to 10? And they'll say it's instantaneous. Mm-hmm. Um, but then they'll come back a couple months later and say, you know what? I actually think that when I'm three, four, five, six on that anger scale, I start to get sarcastic or I start to be passive aggressive or I start to slam, slam doors. So I've never really thought of that as anger, but I guess it's kind of milder anger and it just gets hotter. And I think we don't usually tune in. How am I? What, what's happening inside me or what's, what is my body doing right now? That's telling me I'm not in great shape. And if I'm not in great shape, how could I possibly bring my best self to a conversation with my spouse when they are not in a good day, when they're having a really rotten day too? Yeah, it's an opportunity for us to tune in to observing and noticing what's going on for ourselves, right? With self-compassion, right? Not to beat ourselves up and say, why am I being so upset? It's really to be, how do I, um, I'm struggling, I'm doing my best, I'm not having a great day. <laughs> and if yeah. my partner will watch the kids, I'm going to get in my car and go for a drive. I think I think what your wife yeah. did is brilliant, Stephen. I think I, I mm-hmm. wish... Not not everyone has the ability um, to do that, but if we all had a way of, if we all knew ourselves well enough to know what our, not kryptonite, what's the opposite of kryptonite, what our kind of secret weapon is to calm ourselves down oh. and and um, and fill the cup. I think there's also that piece of like, how, uh, how do we do it in a self-compassionate way? I think that can be difficult. And uh, I think one way... In one of the workshops that I gave once on stress is um, just even say like it's new sometimes to many Christians because the Bible says do not be anxious. So that it's like I'm not supposed to be anxious. And then if I say that I'm anxious, then it's like I'm doing what the Bible says I shouldn't do. Yet um, in the work that we see and all the research that goes around it is that if we actually just go, oh, I'm anxious and we don't let it follow up with, you shouldn't be anxious in that critical voice, that actually that anxiety can dissolve itself by staying with it a little bit. And that kind of speaks to even how we're carrying out these conversations that we're not getting to the solution too quickly, because there is a part that helps our brain and our bodies to hear, and just to even let that icky feeling kind of sit for a little bit because then allowing the body to do its work to dissolve and resolve some of those uncomfortable aspects. Yeah, and another sure. piece is just that it's okay to feel uncomfortable and to feel anxious that we can still do the things that we need to without banging ourselves, kind of hitting ourselves over the head that we shouldn't. I think it can be normal too that we, we want our partner to be okay. And if they're not okay then I'm not okay. Like, it, or if we sense that they're on the edge or they're going to go over soon and that, that I think our tension is up and we're kind of on eggshells kind of trying to say, I need, I need you to be okay right now so that we can just get back to life. And I think if we can recognize that impulse in us to say like, wow, my impulse is to f- just have you be okay right now or fix you so that we're okay here rather than to say, okay, maybe, maybe it's time to actually ask how you're doing and <laughs> to try and listen and be present with that person. and and sit with your discomfort too, that, you know, I'm with someone who maybe is not okay right now. And maybe that's, maybe that is okay, or maybe I can't change it. So I need to kind of accept that. And, you know, it, it is what it is. But then that's where the power is. If you can actually 
have that open invitation that, hey, when you're not okay, when I'm not okay, we're actually going to be allowed to tell each other that. That makes me think of the Sue Johnson, the magic two questions that Sue Johnson asks. So one of one of the ways that we do couple counseling at Shalane, I'm speaking to the two people, (laughs) to the people that do it. But um, at Shalane, we use a model uh, called EFT or attachment therapy. Um, It's a form of attachment therapy that looks at the bonds in a couple. So it doesn't just teach people how to have good conflict or but it 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 looks at. how much we can trust our partner, how much we can lean into them when we're struggling. And it looks at also some of the really funky patterns that we get into. And Sue Johnson, who developed this program that we love, she talks about the two magic questions of, are you there for me? And do I matter to you? And right now, I think those questions are playing out during COVID, right? Does my opinion matter to you? Do I matter to you? Are we are we splitting free time? <laughs> or am I the person doing all the laundry right now? Do I matter to you? Are we... And are you there for me? Meaning if I'm having a really rough day, can I turn to you and lean in? And are, are you able to listen to me? Or am I in this on my own? So no. I think if there's couples listening to this, I think you guys have given some really great ideas around how to how to reach for your, how to take care of yourself so that you can be available for your partner. But also thinking about, is there a way for me to communicate to my partner that I do have their back right now, that I am on their team and I want to support them as much as I want them to support me. We are each other's team. Yeah, absolutely. And you don't need to agree on everything either. You need to, you need to understand. I mean, I had one couple where one person's going to get the vaccination right away and the other person, no. And that was okay. But that had to be talked about to understand the other person's opinion on that. And I think that kind of thing is going to be coming up more and more. Yeah, no, for sure. Happy couples are not the couples that agree all the time, but they're couples that know how to talk and, and repair. So go back afterwards and say, when I said that, this is what I intended to say. And I'm sorry if I sounded like a jerk because I wasn't intending to hurt you. And is this what you were trying to tell me? Because this is what I heard that, that healthy couples. And I think there's a lot of that right now. <laughs> there's a lot of how are you feeling about the news? Or last night when we had that funky encounter where we where we hurt each other's feelings, what was that about? Um, those are Those are critical conversations. Yeah. Yeah. And what comes to mind is maybe for people who just feel like and have always felt or more so now that, oh, I just can't talk to my partner. That's where we recommend counseling therapy. Um, You can reach out to Shalane and book. You don't have to have the conversation with your partner in the room necessarily, but just individual help to get to the point to be able to share your needs or to speak about something in a way that isn't disruptive, that is not conflict arising or something that, and we have seen an increase people reaching out. And I think it's a good time because you get more time to reflect and you're seeing the things come to the surface more. Thank you for listening. Check out more podcasts and subscribe to Faith Today magazine for free at faithtoday.ca. This podcast is produced by the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada. If you enjoyed it, please rate or share it.